0: All right, so welcome, everybody, to Draft Politics. It's episode 15. Thanks for joining us again this week. As always, I'm EJ, here with my co-host. This is Steve.
1: Welcome, everybody. Uh, This week, we're starting off with a little bit of a look back at our previous episode. Uh, Had a conversation with one of our listeners, Carol, uh, talking about Will Hurd, uh, who came up when we were talking about the backlash against uh, Trump's tweets, and uh, the resolution in the House that went against him uh, for, for, for those tweets. And there were four Republicans who had voted in favor of the resolution that condemned his tweets, and one of them being Will Hurd of Texas. And in looking at that, uh, when I was investigating you know, each one of these Republicans, I came in with my mindset of, uh, what is a good reason why they would have voted uh, in favor of the resolution? And so I looked at the makeup of his district and thought, okay, clearly the the racial makeup of his district makes him more prone to voting in that direction, and portrayed it as somewhat of a cynical calculation on his part. Uh, but I knew nothing about Will Heard; I hadn't done any further investigation about it, and it was, you know, a situation where. Confirmation bias applied to me where I was looking for something, I found something that informed me, and I'm like, okay, good, I can just go with what I was believing. So uh, I want to call that out and talk a little bit more about Will Heard. So after looking into him, uh, his district uh, actually went for Clinton, so it is a more uh, Democratic-strong district in Texas. And it turns out he's actually fairly moderate on a lot of issues uh, in spite of the fact that he's a Republican and he's actually pushed back on Trump uh, in a couple t-
0: a couple different times. Um, you, you had looked up some quotes from him. Yeah. Uh, well, it, back in January, I think, was a, a notable sort of interview that he did with Rolling Stone, where he had called the crisis at the border essentially a myth that was created by the president, and that the wall is a third-century solution to a 21st-century problem. So, you know, that's fairly strong words. And I think his his district, that's the twenty third congressional district, um, as you said, did go for Clinton. But I think that his what he said has seemed pretty genuine. If you kind of look across some of those those quotes and yeah. some of those interviews,
1: yeah. So I think he's you know if you look at him, he's he's basically the kind of Republican we wish we had in more places. I think. Um, You know, I I would be happy if we had a political system where it wasn't all so much about party, you know, partisan politics and we could have some overlap between the parties. And so he seems to suggest a a world that we do not seem to currently exist in, but, you know, would be nice if we did. So I just want to call that out before we get into
0: this week's news. And so Representative Hurd, if you're listening, sorry about that. My bad. Yeah. Keep up the good work. Keep and just remember,
1: everybody, when you're out there looking at the news, always check your bias, you know. And, you know, hey, if you if you see somebody and you see that uh, ha- their bias is taking over them a little bit, make sure to call them out on it. They might be uh, willing to listen to you. So,
0: Or not. Or not. But hopefully they are. Screw you, Carol. <laughs> Anyhow, moving on. <laughs> so I think, you know, some big things happening this week, and to my mind, the single biggest thing that's happening is going to be Robert Mueller coming in, Going into the the hill and testifying for five hours this week on Wednesday.
1: Yeah. I was almost tempted to say we, we postpone our recording this week to after that, but I, I thought that would be A difficult to schedule and B, I'm not sure that there'd be all that much more to talk about except for, you know, hey, he said exactly what's in the report again.
0: Well, I think that that is a fair point and you know, over the weekend we saw uh, on Fox News actually We had Jerry Nadler go on to an interview with Chris Wallace, who asked him, why are you putting the American people through this? Which I think is a similar question with a different framing. So is he going to say anything new? We know that there were a lot of negotiations between Mueller, who's now a private citizen, and the judiciary and uh, intelligence committees about how long he was going to testify and what they could ask and what they couldn't. And You know, they ended up in this position where it's three hours with judiciary and two with intelligence, and they've kind of split the topics. uh, Yeah, and I'm a little concerned that
1: that structure is going to end up with they're each going to cover their set of topics, and there's going to be this overlap that's not really getting covered between the two. So we'll have to see how it plays out. But Um,
0: but I think that just goes to the question of what is the goal here? right.
1: Right. I mean, I think the only question that I feel like is really, would really be illuminating that they can ask him that I think he'll answer is how did everything play out in terms of the Justice Department pushing back on indictments? Like, did he come to those conclusions on his own or did he get active pushback from Barr to shut down things, to end the investigation and that kind of thing? So, you know, that I think he's not going to, he's going to be very tight to the bounds of, here is what I said in my report, and I will say it out loud if that makes you feel better, but it's still what's in my report.
0: Right. And he was very, I think, strict about only wanting to have open door hearings. So he didn't want there to be an opportunity for politicians to spin what he had said in a closed door hearing, um, which I thought was really interesting. And I know that the Department of Justice, I guess, has come out and said that they want to uh, advise him to limit his responses to just what's in the report, although I don't know that they can do that. Yeah, that's kind of curious. Citizen. I
1: mean, like, I don't think they can... I mean, I, I know there are bounds of what he's allowed to do as a special counsel and what kinds of information he was allowed to share and all that sort of stuff, but I don't know what, what they're saying and how that ties into those boundaries. So are yeah. they just they may just be trying to make him a little freaked out and a little extra cautious but
0: yeah he seems like the kind of guy that gets freaked out pretty easily well that's a point <laughs> <laughs> i mean i mean i guess on one hand i would say if he weren't sort of a totally straight shooter as by all accounts he is i mean he could go in there and say whatever he wants because there's nothing anybody really could do it, do you think William Barr would suddenly open an investigation and indict Robert Mueller for something? Right. I mean, I, serious question. So if well, Robert Mueller came in there and said, well, I think the Justice that, Department told me not to say this, but I'm going to say it. Right. Anyway. I think that he, I think that Mueller has enough,
1: of a, enough credibility and enough of a reputation that it's going to be hard to push in that direction. Now what we're going to see I would imagine is that all of the republicans on both of those committees are going to do everything they can to make Mueller look like he's doing something shady. I right. think it's it's it will be difficult for them to do that. Honestly, I think their best bet would be to say I'm not going to use my time. I I I read the report and just like toss it back. I mean, you know, eat up your time or whatever, but don't really do anything i think that yeah. i think actually they might hurt their cause by looking too partisan when they go after him
0: by attacking him and trying to frame everything as being a partisan attack from right go side. to back to
1: something he did previously and say oh well you know you were partisan then and maybe that means you're partisan
0: now and yeah i don't think it's going to go well for republicans attacking yeah. him either so
1: inevitably you're going to have a certain amount of them trying to like audition for Trump and like try to be as tough as they can to show Trump how awesome they are. But I
0: like that idea. It's like, right. It is like American Idol. Oh, yeah. American Trumple. So, it, you know, and actually something that occurs to me that we didn't have in
1: our rundown here that uh, sort of ties in this is William Barr and all that. Um, one of the things that came out was William Barr donated <laughs> a bunch of money to senators.
0: Oh, yeah. Prior to his confirmation hearings. I mean, he had been donating for a long time, right? But what it increased like seven hundred percent in the last month. Yeah,
1: to the point that the uh, the National Republicans, I think it National Republican Senate Committee, like returned some of the money because they knew it looked really questionable. Um, So, just another thing that sort of ties into all of the crookedness going on
0: around those investigations. No, no, I'm I'm certain it's all totally, totally above board. It's
1: just you know, it's a it's a Friendly thank you to say, hey, guys. You know, it's like he'd go out for an interview and he sent a thank you note afterwards. He's just sending the money
0: ahead of time. It's, right. it's exactly the same. He, he donated $51,000 after Jeff Session resigned. Yeah. And prior <laughs> to 2018, he had given $85,000. I
1: really want to understand his logic and all this because he— he wasn't involved in po- like he got he was in the Bush senior administration and wasn't really that involved in yeah. politics. And then suddenly he's like writing letters, defending Trump and
0: donating money to people like what? What's his deal? <laughs> yeah. And we will probably never know. No, we, we will never know. So sort of what do you think best case is? Best case out of the hearings, Robert Mueller comes out and said, "Yeah, I would have indicted him a hundred percent." Yeah, I mean would told me would be not to. that
1: would be the best case scenario in that timeline we don't live in. Um, right. I, <laughs> I don't think, I think our best case scenario is he reveals some shadiness about how Barr pressured him. Mm. I feel like that's really the best case because if we can um, if we can suggest that there was corruption in how all of that was carried out. I think that helps the case to say we need to push on this further. But what I'm concerned about is I feel like this is sort of the last chance for Democrats to say, all right, we definitely are going to impeach.
0: I I do, too. I don't know where they go. Because, like, if you aren't going to do
1: it now, like, it's going to be possibly years before, any of those court cases ever pan out to get documents or anything like that. So if it's, it's either now or never, and if it's never, then I think there are consequences for that.
0: Well, and, and Nadler came out over the weekend and said something to the effect of, well, there's clear evidence that Trump committed high crimes and misdemeanors, is guilty of high crimes and misdemeanors. Yeah. So I don't know, first of all, why he would say that at that point Yeah. before Mueller's... It was like he was reading... Well, Nadler was one of the people who voted
1: for impeachment for uh, in uh, Al Green's, which... I was like, what's his name? And then remembered, oh, yes, like the singer. Got it. Uh, Al um, Green. But Al Green, uh,
0: his, he, Nadler was one of the people on board with that. So still it seemed like a weird play, although it was on Fox News, which I maybe is part of the strategy there. Some people who normally wouldn't hear that are hearing it. Yeah, could be. So,
1: well, we'll see how it plays out, but, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So then
0: from there we've got the debt ceiling. Love the debt ceiling. One of uh. my favorite things. I like the rotator cuff. It didn't exist before 1998. Right, or whatever. it's it's an absurd thing. And for those of you who aren't familiar
1: with the way the debt ceiling works, basically, the the government they pass a budget, and it possibly puts the government into debt, as has been history. You know, for the last several decades, it, it was always putting the government into debt. And they came up with this notion of this debt ceiling, where basically they say, "Well, we're not going to borrow any more money to pay for the checks that we've already written." Essentially, and so we've kept almost hitting this debt ceiling. If for some reason we ever hit the debt ceiling, we would kind of instantly implode the world
0: economy. Right, we would default on our loans. We, would, we would stop would, paying. In things.
1: effect, default on loans that yeah. we have issued to. Social Security and China and UK and all kinds of places that borrow money or bar- that let us borrow money, I should say. And so we're, we're hitting this again. Now, it looks like there's a deal to fix this um, where it would suspend it for two years, which sounds good. But then I realized two years means, oh, well, we're just going to kick this down until Democrats have to deal with it if all goes well.
0: Right. And remember, the debt ceiling first came into play thanks to the Freedom Caucus, right, who used this as a cudgel, essentially. Yeah.
1: And like up until that point, nobody ever tried to negotiate over the debt ceiling because it was a stupid idea. And it's still a stupid idea. Um, And I've seen a lot of, you know, progressive or Democratic people talking about, oh, we should hold the, you know, use the debt ceiling to get things done for progressive policy or whatever like no 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 stop don't ever use the debt ceiling yeah. like, just just it's, say it's it's write it off say debt ceiling's going to happen and move on and it shouldn't even exist in the first place right and i'd love to see them pass a permanent fix to it but
0: yeah i don't know what i i mean i guess the permanent fix would be to say you know we're not doing uh, the government will always pay back our our loans yeah and, you know, I think there are, several, there are several laws and there are places where, you know, there's supposed to be some fiscal control, which I frankly am okay with, but they all seem to have gotten bastardized and used inappropriately in one way or another, for sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, and ultimately what we find is that deficits aren't important when Republicans have control, but they become very important when Democrats have control. Right. And so... Right. As much as I, so I think that we are a little too cautious about our debt, but at the same time, there is a fundamental limit to how much you can borrow and what you can get away with. You know, there's balances of like, you can print more money and da da da, and that all works up to a point. We don't know what that point is, no. Um, so we have some flexibility, but... We need to stop treating it as the thing you do when Democrats are in power to keep them from being able to do good social spending.
0: Right. Exactly. I mean, if you've got the money to give trillions of dollars away in tax breaks. Right. Rand so, Paul. Yeah, ex- exactly. Steve Mnuchin. Like, I don't know why we're suddenly running out of money. I don't. I have no idea why revenue has dropped. Right. Can't imagine. Could be anything. Yes, could be anything. And I saw, you know, in the notes, like talking about the sequester going away. The sequester, from twenty thirteen. Yeah, which I is thought it was like yesterday. Idea. I remember this. I remember the fiscal cliff. Oh yeah. And the sequester, all of the great, great taglines that have gotten applied to budget impasses in the past. Yeah. But this all has to be done before they go on recess, right? Well,
1: that's a theory, yeah. They want to get this all done because otherwise there's a risk they hit the debt ceiling before they get back from recess. Um, And given that it's Republican Trump administration people running this sort of like deciding how all the money gets shuffled around or whatever, I don't trust them to do it right. (laughs) I'd rather rather err on the side of caution.
0: Yeah. 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 But it seems
1: like they're on track to get it
0: it done. It does. But, of course, I'm I'm nervous because the president is like, hey, good job, guys. Right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Hold on. I rethink anything where, like, Mitch McConnell and the president are like, this seems like a good idea. Yes, yes, yes. (sighs) So So Puerto Rico been in the news again. Yes. Thanks to, and I don't think I'm getting this number wrong. 700 pages of texts between the governor of Puerto Rico, uh, Rosello, and his aides and advisors. Yes, and saying all
1: kinds of things that, in addition to being sexist and uh, homophobic, uh, also talked badly about victims of Hurricane Maria, which was notoriously somewhat screwed up by... Exactly this person. So that's probably not a good idea. No. Um, so no. there's been protests calling for his resignation. So far, he's tried to sort of split the difference and say, "Well, I'm not going to resign, but I won't want run for re-election." Yeah. And then people he'll run are, for re-election, is my
0: guess. But it, yeah, exactly. And he's like, "I think people are in a forgiving mood." Yeah. It doesn't appear that they are. Yeah. No. Nor that they should be, no. Although I, I did read and heard some great stories about this where people in Puerto Rico are like, couples are taking turns reading the texts to one another just so they get through them all because they all want to read them. Oh, Lord. Now, but, <laughs> but I, I just want to put this into some some perspective, right? 700 pages of texts that people across Puerto Rico are reading, they're diving into, they're trying to understand. And this came from a an investigative uh, journalism organization in Puerto Rico. And in the U.S., we can't get our representatives to read the Mueller report. I, I, I saw some of the translations, and I was, I was pretty shocked the way that he was referring to his own citizens. Yeah. Um, and, of course, then the president... You know, jumped on that and said, "Well, we've sent, you know," and he made up a number, 110 quadrillion dollars to Puerto right. Rico, and it all gets, you know, so none of that looks good for anybody. I think an
1: important message if you're if you're a politician out there listening to our podcast, first of all, review us on iTunes. Second, definitely. Uh, and Stitcher. When you're talking about literally anything on email, on text, on Telegram, on Facebook, Twitter, assume everybody is going to see that. Yeah. And cuz they will. <laughs> like security is a hard thing to get right.
0: Right. Somebody, Somebody who's in your
1: campaign might decide they don't like you and reveal that information. Just just don't. Just
0: remember that it will be seen, and be, be good. This episode of Drafts Politics brought to you by Signal. Signal, a messaging app that's encrypted end-to-end and instantly disappears. Send all of your racist, misogynistic texts with Signal. But it doesn't instantly disappear, so that no, doesn't Just kidding.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, I forget which one. What's the, what's the one in all the all the youngins like to use to send messages that it instantly the WhatsApp? disappears. Is it WhatsApp that does that? WhatsApp that's owned by the Facebook. It's owned by the Facebook? Yeah, you don't use that either, apparently. No, no. But Signal, man. Signal. Then it'll be encrypted so you'll know that only the people you send it to can rat then you out. Then share it. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, th- and that's why I do all of my messages like Matt Damon in The Martian. I set up a camera with a number of letters in a circle and I send people pictures. It's... It's very slow to transcribe. Yes. Very slow. Hard to
1: crack, though. So that's Hard good. to crack. Yeah.
0: That's what I'm looking for. Uh, <sighs> so,
1: we got some more immigration news. Uh, there was a, a bit of a call to arms that I haven't seen since the early days of the Trump administration. Um, you'll recall back in the day that there was a number of uh, people who were being held at the airport, and protesters all showed up to sort of support them. and. And fight against uh, Trump's policies. Well, we've had a a repeat, basically, where we've had three children who were held at O'Hare to try to detain their parents.
0: Certainly what it seemed like, right? Yeah. And two were citizens. Yes. Right? Citizens of the U.S., U.S. passports, all under the age of 13, I think. Yes. And so what they were trying to do,
1: seemed that CBP was trying to get them to have the parents show up and to turn themselves in to be deported. Right. And— there was a call to arms on Facebook, and everybody showed up. Even the dog showed up. That was very nice of him. Um, and uh, it it all ended up working out okay. The, the children were released. And, and the, mother,
0: the mother came and picked them up from... Yes. So two of the children were released to her custody. Uh, their cousin was sent back to Mexico. Yeah, okay. I think is how it ended up. Okay. But it was sort of an instant... And very strong reaction from the community here in Chicago, which I thought was great. I wish it didn't have to happen. Well, I know
1: there have been a lot of people talking about how, you know, our our focus and our energy had fallen off since those days. But clearly, that's not the case. It's like when something presents itself that we can act on and have an impact immediately, we will still do so.
0: Yeah. So, again unfortunate that it has to happen and I don't think it's going to stop but I'm glad to see that people are are willing to step up instantly and and try to take it on
1: yeah Um, another thing on immigration the Trump administration expanded authority for immigration officers to deport migrants without requiring them to appear before judges ahead of deportation so here's the thing we have this concept in our in our laws called habeas corpus, which means that for any like legal proceeding or whatever, you're required to go before a judge and have a hearing and all that sort of stuff. The reason we have that rule is because that's the only way we can make sure that the, the facts of the case are correct. So, you know, CBP detains you and then decides, oh, well, you don't belong here, and sent you to another country, we have a judge involved because maybe they're wrong. Maybe you're a US citizen and they didn't check that. Maybe they didn't see your passport. Maybe they asked you questions that you got the answer wrong to, but it turns out it was a minor mistake, and really, you should be okay. There's any number of things that can happen, and if you can't go before a judge, that's a problem. This is another just sort of administration deciding they're going to do it that way. I'm sure it'll go through the courts, but it is worth noting that um, some of the precedents we had around um, uh, Guantanamo Bay, where we said, you know, who actually gets habeas corpus. You know, it's hard to say whether it's hard to say whether the Supreme Court that we have right now would say, yeah, you can't do that, or whether they would sign off and say, well, technically
0: speaking, they're not citizens, so. They might be. You just don't know, but <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, I haven't looked at all the detail underneath it in terms of, you know, when it applies to people seeking asylum or whose cases are pending. Yeah, it,
1: well, so they're saying was it applies to anybody in the country illegally less than two years? So it's assuming they're in the country illegally, which if you're seeking it, then there's this whole rigmarole around. Well, if you're seeking asylum. Right. Technically speaking, if you cross the border because they closed the border access point and present yourself to somebody, that's not in the country illegally. That's seeking asylum.
0: But, but I think that that's the gray area because yeah. they would say, I think the Trump administration would say that as soon as you, even if you turn yourself in, if you did not do that at a valid crossing point, then you're in violation of the law and here illegally yes and again I don't think that has been adjudicated their interpretation of that right and that's you know I I don't think it's being overly cynical to say that anytime there's a gray area the administration is going to interpret it as oh yeah the most restrictive most anti-immigrant as they can. Yeah,
1: Stephen Miller is going to go, muah-ha-ha-ha and yeah. going to do what he's going to do.
0: Ah, uh, Stephen Miller. Yeah. Well, so kind of speaking of racism and <laughs> xenophobia, I was
1: about to say, for the amount of times we can have talking about racism as a transition in this podcast is always a little sad. But, um, but yeah, yeah, so last week we talked about the tweets, the um, tweets from Trump. Going after uh, the squad, and you know, and and we obviously had the uh, had the house vote to say that
0: those were officially racist. Uh, since then, there was a rally that Trump had right. a rally in Greenville, North Carolina. So Trump, as he does, has the rally, and he spec- so actually I would say this between the tweets and the sort of soft uh, rebuking and the rally Donald Trump did say well you know i w- really didn't mean it that way and he tried to walk it back a little bit which was and surprising and other republicans and proxies have tried to like go, well it
1: wasn't really well, meant that, that way, way. Yeah. Really
0: that'll you know but yeah. then there was the rally yes and in the rally he brought up uh, representative omar from uh, from minnesota and the crowd immediately started chanting and i mean immediately started chanting send her back and donald trump stepped back from the podium and kind of smiled in that smug ass way that he does and they chanted it and for 13 14 and seconds the
1: scene immediately turned to black and white and it all turned to saying hell hitler wait no no, no.
0: that didn't happen but but it's what it felt like <laughs> i mean it was it was bad yeah i mean i you know, And then he kind of gave that little smile after they quieted down and kept on with the speech. And that was, I think, a, maybe a bridge too far for some people. Um, but we saw the same kind of equivocations and sort of justifications from, from people. The president himself said, well, no, I tried to shut it down as quickly as I could. Which is clearly which is a, totally lie. a lie, but totally, a lie. but it's
1: enough of a it's it sounds plausible enough that inevitably that will circulate circulate around the right wing media sphere.
0: And, oh, many I don't think they, would, I don't even know who that's for. I think that's for independence, because I think,
1: well, I think there, you know, that's the thing is, I feel like there is a there's a, OK, there's obviously a good chunk of Trump's base is just like, yay, yay, racism, great there is a chunk of them, of Republicans, who are probably, they're, they're comfortable with it as long as it's under the surface. It's when it starts to be a little too obviously racist that they start to get a little nervous about it. And so, and you'll see in the way that all of the Republicans reacted to this, like they're like, eh, we're getting a little close to that line. And, and nobody's really sure where that line is. And it, frankly, it may not exist. But they're all at least... Feel like it's probably there. They know they can't say the N word on TV, so like that's the line they know exists, and they aren't sure how close they can get to that before they're in
0: trouble. And Trump, who he might, you know, he might be able to. Yeah, he may try. I mean, he did come out the next day and he's like, "Those people are patriots." Yeah. So one day after him saying like, "Oh, I tried to calm it down," the next day was like, "They were patriots," and praising them for doing it. Yeah. Um, and I would say on the flip side to that when she got back to minneapolis there was a group of people there waiting for chanting welcome home yeah that which is was what we should awesome be doing awesome to see yeah. um. that was that was really good but it look the this has dominated the news cycle for a week now i think donald trump is happy for it to dominate the news cycle um and I mean, it's,
1: I, it seems like it was good for him in the polling amongst Republicans. Up, uh, I mean, last time I heard now, obviously, that, that may have fluctuated a little bit. But
0: uh, 92 to 93 percent of Republicans believe that right, he's doing a right, good right. job. And look, I, you know, I think, again, most of these actions are baked into the to the numbers. Yeah. Um, and it's uh, it's sad that that's. That's the case, and the longer it goes where his approval ratings kind of hover at the same place, I think he'll think that he's doing the right things. Yep. Um, And in his mind, and not to be especially disproven by 2016, but I think in his mind there are a lot of people where there is no, you know, they're they're nervous about talking about it in public, but they're not nervous about voting for him in the privacy of a voting booth. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So— you know, I think all we can do is keep calling it out and keep talking about the positive things that that all of the people who are trying to kind of move debate forward are doing. Yep. Um, but it's scary stuff. Scary stuff. Absolutely.
1: So that wraps hey. up a lot of uh, the national politics. Uh, we've got a little bit of international.
0: Yeah, and I, I want to touch on this because I like talking about scary stuff. Uh, <laughs> And, and I think there's a microcosm here around Iran and the U.S. and the U.K., and there are lots of things that are really interplaying right now that, you know, we're not going to have answers about, but I want to set it up because, you know, things are going to maybe get clear, but I think it's important for people to just kind of know what's happening and how things are interrelated. So. You know, obviously, over the last month or so, there's been some saber rattling with Iran and like shooting down of drones. And did we do this? Did we do that? Um, And the U.S. has been trying to put together a coalition of what they call maximum pressure people or countries. and,
1: And I just just need to like think about that for a moment. This president is trying to put together a coalition. Yeah, bringing people together. In international
0: politics, thousand points alike. All right. Well, good luck yeah. at that. Anyhow, well, and they, I think you know they're they're saying well, Iran is a big threat to shipping in the Gulf, in the Gulf, and the Straits of Hormuz. Yeah. Uh, and so they're trying to get a group of countries together to protect shipping, and nobody's joining them. By the way, they're calling it Operation Sentinel.
1: Well, it's such a like. Yeah. So, everybody, I want you to pause this podcast right now. You're going to come back to it in a moment. On your phone or on your laptop or whatever, I want you to look up the Straits of Hormuz. (laughs) Trying to defend against Iran if Iran was somehow incensed to the point that they wanted to attack things is kind of impossible. There's just not enough space to maneuver in there. And that is one of the reasons why... Anybody would be a fool to try to start a real war with Iran, right? Um, well, and I mean, I'm assuming you've unpaused at this point because otherwise this is a very weird
0: conversation we're having. But go ahead. Yeah, no, it, you're absolutely right. It's a very, it's a very small gap there um, between the Persian Gulf and the rest of the world, and you know it's been a sort of a hot spot for decades, from the time when you know they were shooting silkworm missiles at ships in the. Uh, in the Straits of Hormuz. And I, I, and I bring that up because, you know, recently, at, I think Friday, a British-flagged tanker was detained and redirected to an Iranian port. Now, you'd think that that would be a thing where the British would instantly jump in and say, okay, well, we're with you now, U.S., we're going to jump into this coalition. But they haven't. Right. I think they called which it gives you a sense of like what kind of gap there is between yeah. our foreign policy and the rest of the world right, right now. And they called it state piracy, which I thought was interesting. Um, but here's where the other interplay comes in. So right now, Theresa May is on her way out. She gone. She has failed at a job that she could never have succeeded at, in spite
1: of many attempts to have the exact same vote over and over again. It's true. <laughs> she, she did
0: try the exact same thing. Um, and I really do feel bad for her, as an aside, because she was never going to succeed. No. So there's going to be a leadership vote in the Conservative Party this week, and it's between Boris Johnson and the Foreign Secretary, James Hunt, of the UK. So he's James Hunt's the Foreign Secretary. He had to come out and say kind of what the re- response is going to be. But everybody knows that he probably will not have that job in a week's time. Right? And there's there's a weird power gap interregnum period that's going on right now. Nobody kinda knows who's in charge, and the UK's got all of Brexit to think about. So if I'm Iran, why not just kinda troll as many people as possible?
1: Yeah. And and it's hard it was hard for me to understand what iran's angle is here but ultimately you've got the original agreement that was in place to reduce iran's uh, nuclear program right and right. so when trump backed out of that we put sanctions back in place that had been unilaterally lif- yes unilaterally that had been lifted the rest of you know europe and china and russia all remained part of that program however we were punishing them enough that it made a difference to them to, and th- this is why they started go ahead and open up their program, whatever. I mean, ultimately, they're caring about the financial impact of right. all of this. And so th- it seems that Iran is trying to turn up the pressure on the rest of these countries and say, hey, we need these resources, we need this money, and if you're not going to work with us, we can make your life difficult. And, you know, well, but, it, well, you
0: know, yeah, it's hard to say where this is going to go. Yeah, well, and I think... I think they would be perfectly happy just making the U.S. look stupid. And to that end, right, we've seen some some things happen here again in the last week where the U.S. is like, well, we shot down an Iranian drone. And they're like, no, now maybe you shot down your own drone. <laughs> and then Iran's like, we captured a bunch of U.S. spies. And the U.S. is like, no, no, maybe you captured your own spies? Like, I don't know. Right. So now it's just weird false propaganda going on, Uh, I don't know what the end game is here, except for chaos. I
1: much preferred when we were having these talks of foreign policy when I could reasonably assume that our government was sane. I mean, you know, I might not agree with them, like, you know, I mean, obviously, there was a lot of shit Cheney did and all that sort of stuff, but, like, I kind of, like, knew there was, like, at least a logic to it, even if it was a dark and evil, twisted logic. Right.
0: This is just all over the place, so who knows? Who knows? So let's talk about something much clearer, much easier to understand. Circus 2020. Election Circus 2020. Okay, so as we get into Circus 2020, uh, some really interesting news this week from Mayor Pete's campaign. He hired a new policy advisor. Uh, Her name is Sonal Shah. She, uh, very experienced woman of color, currently leading a sort of progressive uh, think tank, uh, talking about how to use technology to improve people's lives there at Georgetown University. So interesting stuff there. Yeah,
1: and other interesting news, uh, it turns out Mayor Pete hired a new policy advisor, uh, Sonal Shah, uh, who's a Goldman Sachs, uh, who worked for Goldman Sachs, and it was a Google technocrat, and is presumably going to sell us out to the corporate technical overlords. So
0: good to know. That is a tough one. Yes, can't believe he did that. I, I got yeah. Week. I researched
1: that on LinkedIn, so you know that's how I know where she came from. So
0: uh,
1: we we saw this. We saw this come across our Facebook feeds. We have no idea what to actually make of this hiring, but it's interesting to see like how it was interpreted by people, and so we'll we'll see what to make of that going forward.
0: Yeah, and. Uh, I, I found it really interesting actually that the article that I saw most shared about it actually called out they said they did their research on LinkedIn. So yes. this was Vox or somebody, you know, said well, and was according the promotional to LinkedIn fee Paid for by LinkedIn. I I don't think so. Okay. Well, except LinkedIn's owned by Microsoft. And she worked for Google, so that's well oh. played. Oh, well, wow! Now, well now played. it's all
1: it's all Google attacking Microsoft, or Microsoft attacking Google. I think Microsoft it's the, attacking yes. Google. Yes, yes, absolutely, right. clearly.
0: But it was it was surprising to me how quickly people uh, glommed onto that and just said, "Well, you know," sort of wrote her off because I think, right. if you see that a major candidate has hired a woman of color to lead policy, that's great. That what I, I think. A certain unless, of people would say that is banker. a great headline for them. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, you know, like I said earlier, confirmation bias. <laughs> confirmation bias. <laughs> so uh, ah. another topic that came up this week uh, was paying interns. Uh, there was a story that came out uh, with some complaints within the Sanders campaign that, while they were nominally being paid $15 an hour because they were working more than 40 hours a week, they were technically making less than $15 an hour, um, And I think it's important to recognize all of the candidates who basically have a shot at this point that we're aware of. So it's like top five are Buttigieg, Harris, Warren, Sanders, and Biden. All of them pay interns to one degree or another. Sure. All of them seem to be paying around $15 an hour. And when you consider that most of them are providing some sort of housing and some food and all that sort of stuff. Like the $15 an hour probably goes a bit further than it would otherwise as, you know, if that was your minimum wage or whatever. So um, I think, and I want to say this is important because if you don't pay interns, then what happens is the entry into politics is that much harder for somebody who can't afford to work for free. Right. And we've seen this in campaigns, you know, locally, uh, where you have, you know, younger, wealthier people who are able to volunteer freely because they have their families to back them and support them. And that gives them those toeholds into our political system. And so uh, it's good to see that all the campaigns are doing that. Sanders' campaign actually has gone so far as to unionize. Um, there was a little bit of a hubbub about Warren and Biden having quote unquote volunteer fellowships where they are, you commit to working in a certain number of hours as a volunteer, but it is a lower number of hours and there's training and other things there. So it's not clear if that's really exploiting the spirit of, you know, paying your interns or if that's actually something that's really valuable to some people who can do that.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think the makeup of these campaigns is something that's probably getting attention for the first time ever. Right. Right. And if you read about Bernie's campaign in 2016, and they talk very strongly about how much of the you know, how much of the campaign was driven by volunteers. Yeah, and, and every
1: every campaign is driven by volunteers. Now, what is more recent phenomenon is that more grassroots running the upper echelons of a campaign but like the door-to-door work the people are like there all the time uh cranking out the like you know the the walk sheets and all that sort of stuff those are mostly volunteers no matter what campaign you're talking about at what level
0: when you get down when you get down to sort of organizing at that street level block level town level you know you have to be driven yeah, by Yeah, it would volunteers. be
1: impossible to afford to pay people to do that. And and typically campaigns that pay people to do a lot of that the, that work end up losing because those are the people who are not necessarily into it for yeah. they because they care, it's because they're looking to get a paycheck.
0: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Uh so from there we get into the new debate lineup. Yeah, did you watch the debate draft? Oh my god. So I did not watch that. Um
0: but yeah, no, it was it was a little over the top. <laughs> I, I I almost cringed myself inside out. Yes, it was so bad. Yes, I mean, poor Anderson Cooper. Like, did he have to do that? Do they have something on him? Well, you know, him? I feel like it's one of those things where
1: I saw some good analysis on this, where they're talking about like this is the price that you pay so that you can have a town hall with somebody that nobody cares about. Like, mm. we're gonna do this thing that's gonna get some attention. That's total cheese ball but everybody's going to watch it and get excited about it. And that's what allows you to do some actual, like real valuable news later. This, this
0: is a theory. I, yeah. Cheese it forward. Okay. Yes.
1: Uh, anyway, we have the lineup. Yes, we have the lineup. For Detroit. Uh, the first night, I think one thing I want to call out is Bullock is now in there. Who yeah. did not qualify for the first, no, but first he's in. part of the first debates. I assume because of... Uh, The the torch not being passed correctly, uh, that opened up the uh, room for Bollock to take over. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to hearing
0: him, actually.
1: Yeah, I think he brings in something new. Also, um, this reminds me, CNN apparently has some different debate rules in place this time. So they're not going to have any raise-your-hand questions. They're also going to punish people if they try to interrupt too much. So if they try to jump in too much, what they'll do is start taking time off of theirs. I don't know what referee is going to be keeping track of who gets the most hours because of the amount of
0: interruptions. But So does that mean if you never interrupt, you get more time? There you go. Marion Williamson is in. It's going to be 30 minutes at the end of Marion Williamson. <laughs> dog agrees. The so, dog agrees. Yeah, so night
1: one, uh, we've got Bullock, Buttigieg, Delaney, Hickenlooper, Klobuchar, O'Rourke, Ryan, Sanders, Warren, and Williamson. So what do you think about
0: night one? It's going to be a party. I mean, Warren and Sanders on stage together. That's great. O'Rourke is going to look really out of place. I think Klobuchar has a chance to step up. Um, so we'll, I think we'll see some Buttigieg, O'Rourke sniping. Klobuchar kind of gets by on her own. Um Bullock has got to make a name for himself because it'll be his first well, time out. Well,
1: yeah, and everybody on that stage, other than Sanders and Warren, kind of has to do something to, to yeah, you know, or, or excuse me, Buttigieg is also in there. So, Buttigieg, Sanders, and Warren are all in that top five right now. That all are qualified for the next debate. Everybody
0: else has to do something to get their reputation out there. And so, yeah, I I wonder we should take a uh, s- some side action here about the number of times Bullock says. As somebody who's been elected in a state that went for Trump, right? Like, absolutely. I think that's probably the beginning of every one of his responses. Yeah, but I still am interested in in what he has yeah, to say. Yeah, no, I
1: think I mean you know he's, I'm certainly
0: more interested in, in him than Williamson. So it's true, it's true. <laughs> what, what if there's a Bullock Williamson like just total fight? That'd be that'd be <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I, I Yeah.
1: So then uh, night two, we've got Bennett, Biden, Booker, Castro, de Blasio, Gabbard, Gillibrand, Harris, Inslee, and Yang. Um, this one, I'm not as excited about this one. I do like the notion of Biden and Harris being on the same stage again, plus adding Booker in just to really, like, make things extra challenging for Biden.
0: Please put Biden in the center. Yes. And... Booker on one side, yes. You know, Harris on the other side. Just, just hem him in. See how he does. Yes. I, you know, I look at this lineup, and you know that matchup is obviously the one that's probably going to get the attention. Um, I think Castro has a chance again to kind of to shine a bit um, because yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, I
1: think it's going to be interesting because Biden is going to. This feels like another opportunity for Biden to lose some ground here because, you know, he's got a, yeah. a fair number of strong debaters there. Um, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see if he ends up having some more incidents like he did last
0: last time. But I think he's just going to try to get through. Yeah. Oh yeah, Just try to make it through there, Biden. I, it's uh, I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm already tired of the 20 people and I just want them to be d- <laughs> you almost know, through I, it. You, I'm I'm really just rooting for. It's like watching, uh, you know, a football game of two teams. You don't know why you're watching. You hate both teams. You're rooting for the refs, right? Like just. Oh, I just,
1: I, I just turn off the TV and play PlayStation after that point. But I, I, that's all. I'm
0: I'm just looking. <laughs> I'm looking to get past these preliminary rounds, where I don't have to deal with some of this, and and I'm I'm rooting for. You know, I'm rooting for Buttigieg to put O'Rourke in a place where O'Rourke is going to go run for Senate, right? Like that's, I mean. Yeah, I, I would assume that
1: after this debate, anybody who doesn't make any clear breakout is going to drop out pretty quickly. They're not going to have the funding to keep going. They're not going to have any clear path to sort of build their reputation and their name. I don't see how they continue. I mean, y- you've got solidly a top five now. It's going to take somebody. Somebody in that top five is going to have to fall in order to yeah. for them to take take that place.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I think you know it's kind of a good time to bring up a little bit of the polling that's just come out. Uh, and this was NPR News Hour, you know, PBS and Marist, which uh, you know, five thirty eight rates rates an A. So. I trust the, the folks at 5:38 and their, their polling ratings, and Marist has had good stuff in the past, and this was, you know, phone-based poll, likely voters, uh, registered likely voters. There's a lot of meh out there still. Um, and I think that you know, again, we're still very early, but you know the number of people who are not excited about any of the Democratic candidates is troubling. And I don't know that people are going to get excited until we get a smaller number down. Well, I
1: think it's, you know, it reminds me of what happened with the Chicago election, is that there's so many candidates yeah. that it's hard for anybody to really decide, oh, that's the one I want. I mean, I you know, I've, I'm a Warren fan. I know several people who are Warren fans. But, like, and, you know, there are, everybody's sort of backing behind who they're going to do, who are, like, deep into the weeds. But if you look at, the, like, the broad public, like, we're so
0: early still. Yeah, 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 it's true. I mean, you're one of the 17% of people who knows who they're, they want to vote for. Right. Um, in the primary. Yeah. And that's, that's huge. And that's, of course, in an overall electorate where, you know, 54% of the people say they won't vote for Donald Trump. That doesn't mean they're going to vote. Yeah. Um, 39% of people say they will vote for Donald Trump kind of regardless. And I think right now— I like, um, I like
1: those numbers. Yeah, but a meh turnout. Well, yes, and I and so that comes down to ultimately who that candidate is, and you know I think one of the things I want to talk about as this narrows down is like what kind of what gaming out how that plays out depending on which candidate we get. Like if right. Sanders is the nominee, how does that affect the the middle of the road voters versus you know the people who maybe don't show up to vote but would show up to vote for Sanders and and. How does that all play yeah. out versus
0: Warren versus Buttigieg? Well, and, and again, that same poll. And I know I'm, I'm talking a lot about one poll. And if you've listened to the podcast before, I've talked about how polls kind of suck at this point. But this one I think is OK. And there's a specific thing here about people saying, I'm willing to forego alignment of the candidate with some of my values if I believe that candidate can beat Donald Trump. Yeah, that's important. Because I think that certainly happened in 2016 where people weren't willing to forego that. Yeah. Um, Well, and I think what we're going to see is
1: as we narrow this down, that there's going to be an alignment between your values and who you think can beat Donald Trump. Because it's going to be that... There's going to be an enthusiasm behind those candidates. Candidates that are strictly a... I'm the best to beat Trump, are going to lose steam. Because they need to have something deeper than that over the course of multiple debates. Yes. Because simply saying, but I can beat Trump, is not going to get you very far.
0: Wow. No, certainly not in the primary. Um, and I think one of the things that we'll see is, you know, what the primaries do to distill message and policy around some things. Um, you know, I, I think there, there is some real debate amongst consultants and punditry about, you know, how far to the left Democrats can go uh, before they start pushing independence away, um, or at least to the point where they wouldn't vote. Yeah.
1: Well, and I think that a lot of it comes down to who who is actually an independent and what does being an independent really mean? Because um, we talk about independence. A lot of people are are nominally independent because they're to the left of the Democrats or to the right of the Republicans. Um, Or they are Republican voters regularly or Democratic voters regularly, but just simply just don't like that party label. And so how do you account for that? There are people who are swing voters in the sense that they have regularly are voting for somebody to change the system seeing the system as broken and saying okay these are the people who said oh, i'm going to vote for obama and then i'm going to vote for trump and so would those same people vote for trump again as the change or would they switch over to a democratic candidate yeah that's a good question and then and then the question then is which democratic candidate will best carry that mantle is that a biden is that a sanders or a warren is that a Buttigieg? is that a harris I've covered all five of the top candidates now, so I don't feel like I'm biasing this in any way, even though I like Warren.
0: What's that? Or a Seth Moulton. Oh, Seth Moulton. Could be the change candidate. No, but I think, you know, those... Small change candidates. Yeah. Very small change. Kind of like how much he raised in Q3. Oh. Feel the burn. The, uh, The question to me is, you know, for those voters... Are they going to be impacted, swayed, convinced by you know, the, you know, they want to take away your healthcare debate? You know, I, I, I look at some of the polling and frankly, I get nervous about some of the polling that says the left, moderate left policies, some kind of Medicare for all, very popular. Abolishing private health care very unpopular, you know, like those kinds of things. That dichotomy, like, well, and
1: I think a lot of that comes down to how is it actually being framed. Because when we say abolish private health care, what does that really mean to people, practically speaking? Because if you're getting, if we get rid of your private health care and we get give you medicare which also includes dental coverage which includes you know any number of other things and you're not paying co-pays et cetera, et cetera. well that's a very different equation and so it's hard to say how that plays out in the electorate right now also right now we're talking about democrat versus democrat when it gets down to we've picked somebody who's the nominee and they're going against trump we don't really even need to have a conversation about the nuances of Medicare for all versus Medicare buy-in versus, you know, tweaking Affordable Care Act because it's all going to come down to, and Trump is actively trying to destroy your health care. So whatever you may think about what my plan is, and I will give you plenty of reasons why I think my plan will work, Congress will be a check on me either way, and Trump is going to try to get rid of your health care altogether. That's fair. So, yeah. and I feel like a lot of these issues, we're, we're having this left of this, I mean, left, I don't even know is really correct, but a Democrat-centric debate. Once we're done with that, it's going to come down to this guy is incompetent and corrupt and very likely a criminal, but we can't indict him. And here are policies that I believe will be make America stronger, make, make life for you better fix the economy, et cetera, et cetera. I think it's going to be a much easier discussion to have in that context.
0: Yeah, I I hope so. And I I guess maybe I'm still stuck in my conventional wisdom where... Or we're all screwed. That's a possibility too. But maybe it's better to be... (laughs) to to take your convictions fully and be screwed at the end.
1: Well, you know, I think that there's... I feel like... Mm -hmm. People will vote because people we we like to think that people vote on policies and some people do. But most people, it's like a gut feeling about, do I like this person? Do I think they'd be good at the job? Yeah. Yeah. And so as we look at the candidates, I think that's one of the reasons why Biden polls better than I feel like he should, because he's got some of this leftover from the onion
0: vibe of, hey, he's a cool guy, and, you know. Yeah, he's coming over to work on my Camaro this weekend. Right, exactly. It's, it's going to be great, you know. And uh, so put new headers on, it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. and I think it's one of
1: the reasons why Warren has risen in the polls since she started was because, yep. you know, she's done a good job of connecting with voters when she's met with them in Iowa. Yeah, and I think
0: we've said that before. I mean, those personal connections matter a great deal to yeah. people, and I... Um, and we always have to, much like check our confirmation biases, check our biases on things, we also have to check our perspective in the world of paying attention to this in a very detailed way most days of the week. Yeah. Um, and most people don't. Yes.
1: And, and I sometimes envy them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, <sighs> really, that's going on? Yes, that's going on. <sighs> uh.
0: So... As a moment of relaxation, yes. Where are we at this week? Uh, this week we're at Beguile Brewing. Beguile, I, I mean, I've got to say, whoever's doing the music here at Beguile today, like they must have gone to high school with me, because like every song, or their Spotify channel did at least. I mean, maybe the Spotify channel did, but I'm sure I listened to every one of these songs on cassette, maybe cassette single. We've had some uh, some spin doctors appropriately enough. Had some gin blossoms you know anybody you need from like mid 90s yep here at Beguile with the, some the fan- alt rock classics oh, yeah. i mean it was this is fantastic yes so, um, with some fantastic beer i might yeah
1: add. i'm having uh, the Beguile blonde um, i start off with the picnic island which is a cream ale that's really good uh, and this is actually one of the closest breweries to me the closest is dovetail which is literally one block away from here so very like Good place for me to come hang out and have beer. Uh, what are you drinking? Uh, I have hazy shade of
0: summer. Hazy shade of summer. Fitting his hazy IPA theme that has been pretty consistent. I mean, it's very good. But yes, yes, I've had too many hazies, but not enough no, hazies. Man. That's all right. They, That's all right. They're all, you they're know, all very I will good. say
1: is like, af- as we've done this podcast, I've been like thinking more and more to like try the hazy. Like, what is the difference? What makes it distinct? And like, maybe try the hazies a little more. Because I'm not a big bitter guy, but, yeah. like, I gather hazies tend to not be as bitter.
0: They're not. Sometimes they're a little juicier. Yes. Well, I
1: hear that's the whole thing is, like, they're just trying yeah. to be peak juicy or whatever.
0: But, uh. I, I, you know, I just find them very refreshing. Yes. I, the first time I really had hazies was a few years ago in, in L.A., and I was in a beer bar, and they had... I like that the first place you had a New England-style hazy IPA was as far as you could <laughs> get in the continental U.S., Away from yeah, where not that's lost made. on me. Not lost on me. <laughs> and the irony was discussed at the time. I'm sure with the proprietor of that bar. Yes, and he was like, "Well, these are New England style," and I was like, "But we're in L.A." And he's like, "Yeah, but, but they're good." And so uh, and then he, we have. And he flew to and Boston and had a had a stone something or other. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but but they're uh, you know they're very popular right now too. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. It's so hot it's nice thing. you can kind of get them anywhere. You can kind of compare them. And this. Hazy Shade of Summer is really, really excellent. Um, I, It is citrusy. Make some citrus hops, maybe some cascade. Very nice. Um, the color is good. Kind of a light light straw, but the haziness is just right. Um, um, we did it, not manage to get
1: a pretzel this week, sadly. Um, they don't have food service here. Um, they do have food trucks come here on most days. I see. Okay. Uh, not on Mondays, obviously, so...
0: Uh, but they do allow they dogs do have, they
1: do allow dogs uh, you may have heard some of them barking earlier on the podcast and that's okay yeah and there's like some dogs. great
0: dogs here yeah some good doggos some good boys we've got uh, some goldens that have just been flopping around some boxers I feel
1: like this is the highest dog to person ratio of any bar that we've recorded in so far yeah I think you're right because like every other one we've been to has been like one or two whereas this is like it easily half a dozen dogs right now there's let's say two four yeah there's six dogs in here right Six now, dogs. Folks. I
0: think we're we're a good 8% dog. Yes. We need to find the, the tap
1: room and cat bar at some point.
0: Pass. Yes.
1: Actually, I'm, I'm allergic to cats, so that would be a cats bad choice. Cats just knocking the glasses <laughs> off the bar, <laughs> standing up there, <laughs> looking at you. As though we were just talking about him. He's got to chime in now.
0: Well, their ears were burning. Yes. But, I, again, uh, Beguile, It's here. <laughs> Just off of Ravenswood, <laughs> all the dogs, well-behaved humans and dogs welcome.
1: <laughs> Answering the question, the eternal question: Who is a good boy? Who is a good boy? What
0: if I never find out? <laughs> who is a good boy? Kyler, it's I think Kyler is the cross street here in Ravenswood. Yeah, on the west side, right off right off of Irving Park. In yeah, Ravenswood, Ravenswood or, or Brown Line at Irving Park, hop off, walk yeah. up. And if Open you accidentally Mondays, walk
1: past it, you'll end up at Dovetail, which is also great. So. That's
0: also true. Yes. So you want the more German style. And sausage. All right. They have sausage. So and thanks you know. for joining us this week for our national and international section. Yeah. And, and check us out for local stuff coming soon.
1: All right. Take care, everybody.